Hey, Five Oaks family and everyone else joining us for this sermon. Today, we're looking at how God is putting out an invitation to us, and many of us are missing it. It's an invitation to join him in an amazing adventure. But our lives are filled with distractions, and we accept lesser competing invitations. It's easy to miss God's invitation. Yet God is putting out an incredible effort just to draw us in. And he doesn't need to. He's God. He's not lessened by our lack of response. His glory shines no matter what. Yet he puts forth this incredible effort over and over and over again. What if you accepted God's invitation to an amazing adventure? What if you look past the distractions and the lesser competing invitations and chose to accept God's invitation? I know my life is fuller, it's more exciting, when I'm tracking with God's priorities in my life, when I'm focused on him, dumb stuff doesn't get to me as much. Challenges become opportunities. Even suffering takes on meaning. And when, but when I'm on my own adventure, focused on myself and my goals apart from God, it's another story. It's a story of anxiety and dissatisfaction. I don't want us to miss the invitation in the adventure. An amazing adventure is what our lives look like when we engage in God's invitation to join him in his mission to bring people back to himself. It's what the whole book of Jonah is about, and it's what the last chapter is all about. So we're focusing today on Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as we conclude our series on Jonah. Here's the last chapter of Jonah. But to Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I, why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head to ease his discomfort and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant even though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left? and also many animals. 
that's just an amazing chapter in the story of God. And an amazing adventure is what our life looks like when we engage in God's invitation to join him in his mission to bring people back to himself. How will you keep from missing? What will you need to do in order not to miss it? We've talked about our outreach temperature now for several weeks, and more than once we've pointed out that we're the stewards of our temperature. We have to focus our lives on God and on his call on our lives, and we have to overcome the distractions. So here's how to steward it. The very first thing is open your heart to God. God wants our hearts, not just our obedience. So he works to win our hearts. This account of what happened to Jonah could have ended in several places. As you know, there's always more to every story. So choosing where to end a story uh, that continues on is, is very significant. This account could have ended when the prophet who runs from God comes to his senses in the belly of the fish. The story could have ended when he finally obeys God and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to his enemies. Or it could have ended when the Assyrians actually repent to his preaching, but it doesn't. It goes on to tell the story of Jonah's response to his, his own success. And how God continues to pursue him is part of the story. Why? Because God wants our hearts, not just our obedience, and he works to win our hearts. God pursues Jonah and tries to win over his heart by trying to engage him in a conversation. Jonah 4.4, 4. but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. The impression is given that Jonah doesn't respond to God's question. So next, God uses a plant in his pursuit of Jonah. This is a pursuit for his heart. Notice that God is not through with him when Jonah complies and obeys. God wants our hearts, not just our obedience. So he works to win our hearts. God grows the plant and makes Jonah exceedingly happy. Then God kills the plant to make him miserable in the scorching heat and the blistering wind. Jonah is so depressed, he says he wants to die, but now he's ready to talk. So God asks him a question again, and this time Jonah responds. After Jonah responds, God answers him, and the book of Jonah ends. It's abrupt, to say the least, but it ends with an invitation. Why end there? Either he accepted the invitation or he doesn't, but the book doesn't tell us why. The story ends without resolution because it's not ultimately the story of Jonah. It's our story. It's an invitation to God's people in every age to join him in his mission. There are some amazing parallels between the story of Jonah and Jesus' parable of the prodigal sons. The parable is found in Luke 15. And you might remember that Jesus tells three parables in a row, all with the same point. The first is about a lost sheep and a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find and bring home the lost one. When he finds it and brings it home, he calls his friends and they celebrate. And Jesus then says, there will be celebration like that in heaven when someone who is lost is found. 
Then Jesus tells basically the same story with the same sequence and the same response, but this time it's about a lost coin. And finally, he tells the same story about a lost and prodigal son and the big party celebrating his return. But this is important. The refrain about celebration in heaven is missing. Instead, Jesus adds adds to the story. He says, there's an older brother whom the father invites to the celebration, but the older brother won't come to the celebration. The father pleads with him to come, but his eldest son's response shows his self-righteous, his, that he's a self-righteous prodigal. He never left, but he doesn't share his father's heart. Then the story ends. No resolution, just like Jonah. Why? Well, because the stories aren't ultimately about the joy of lost people being found. That's true, and it's vitally important, but it's secondary. The stories are ultimately about whether or not the religious folks of Jesus' day, the people of God, will join him in the mission of bringing people back to God. How do we know that? We know that because the whole chapter begins with Luke telling us that the religious leaders were upset that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Then Luke says this, so Jesus told them this story. It's for them, and we have Three stories. The last one is open-ended, inviting the leaders to join in the mission. So here you have a prophet who runs away from God and then comes to his senses in the belly of a fish, just like the younger son came to his senses in a pig pen. Then you have a prophet who refuses to celebrate a missional win that ends in an open-ended fashion. It's not a coincidence. God is going for our hearts and ends with the same invitation. Don't miss God's invitation to an amazing adventure of joining him in his mission by opening your heart to him. Second, choose the better adventure. I almost hate to use uh, this analogy because it's been used so often, but it's a story of how Steve Jobs recruited John Scully to leave Coca-Cola and come run the team at Apple. Do you remember what he said? He said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or come with me and change the world? God calls us to the ultimate adventure, being on mission for him. There is no time in my life where I am more spiritually dialed in, prayerful, and excited in my relationship with God than when I'm helping someone come to faith in God, someone who is far from God. It's amazing. If you've ever been in that place where someone that is re- if someone is really close to coming to God and you're a part of helping them come closer to God, you know what I mean. You and I need to choose that greater adventure. If you've not experienced that, you can begin to experience that by leaning in to that adventure and praying and start looking for the opportunities to share Christ in your daily life right where you are, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, right where you are is your unique mission field. There are people all around you who are far from God, and many of them are much more open to God than you might think. One of our members wrote me this email just a couple of days ago, and I've shortened it a bit, but this is mostly what she said. She wrote, I wonder what God is doing. I wonder what his purpose is for dredging up people from my past. Is it to give me a bird's eye view of what I escaped? 
Is it to be the light in someone else's life so that they can see that change is possible? Am I supposed to help these people somehow? Or maybe is simply telling them my story, helping them. Just recently, a very old friend reached out. I, I hadn't talked to her since I was about 10. She lived two doors down when I was a kid. But she reached out and wanted to get together. I met her at, my, at her mom's house, which is still two doors down from my old house. I let her know what my life had become and told her all about things she had never been aware of that were going on in my life when we were young kids. She told me stories herself, stories of a lot of abuse in her home growing up, which I was never aware of, stories of how her family is now very divided. Her dad even still has a terrible hold on her mother. It really made me sad. When I was a kid, I looked up to this family. I always thought they were better than us because they were always got new clothes and got to eat at Wendy's. We didn't always have money for new clothes and shoes when I was a kid. We never really got to go out to eat much. Turns out they weren't better than me. I see that now. Their lives seem lonely at this time. That's just so sad to me. Yesterday, I reconnected with another old friend. I met her when I had moved into my second apartment. I was a single mom and my son was really young. I was attending a tech school and I was always jealous of her. She always had boyfriends and her life seemed so free. Mine was always really hard. At the time, I was living on welfare, $437 per month. And I had a boyfriend that beat me all the time. When we got together yesterday, she seemed really anxious. I recognized her behaviors as behaviors I had in the past. I told her of my story of coming back to God and all the things that have happened to me in my life over all these years. Then she told me about her life. She has had and is still having a very hard life. She has struggled with drugs and alcohol. Her adult son lives with her, doesn't work and gets stoned all day. Her boyfriend has abused her physically and mentally. She's estranged from her family. I felt a lot of pain listening to her story, and I am so incredibly grateful for the life I have. I am blessed to have a strong faith in God, which was installed in me as a child. My family all loves each other, and we are close to each other. My son respects me, is college graduated, and is trying to make a life for himself. I don't have much money, but my bills are always paid on time. I have a house and a car and a decent job. I have a heart that loves people so much. All of these are huge blessings. I'm so grateful God chose me. He chose me to be different. I am really starting to notice just how different I actually am. What you pick up from this gal who wrote me this email, and some of you know her, is that she is on an amazing adventure. She shares what God is doing and has done in her life every chance she gets. It's not a catwalk, but it's joyful and exciting and meaningful. You too can choose a better adventure. Don't miss God's invitation to an amazing adventure of joining him in his mission by opening your heart to him, choosing the better adventure, and thirdly, by looking into God's heart. God shares his heart with his people. 
Back in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, it tells us a story about how the Israelites had left Egypt where they were in slavery. They were in the wilderness and they were waiting at the foot of Mount Sinai. God revealed the Ten Commandments to them there. And the first of the Ten Commandments was, don't have any gods before me. The second, the second commandment was, don't make any idols to represent me or any other gods. But what's the first thing they do when Moses is gone so long that they're afraid he's dead or has abandoned them? They make an idol to represent him. And then they celebrate with a sexual fertility ritual. God tells Moses that he is done with the people of Israel and that he's going to destroy them. But Moses intercedes in prayer and even challenges God. And what does God do? He forgives them and he renews the covenant with them. And then God explains to Moses why he forgives. Jonah quotes God in Jonah chapter 4. God says, I'm Yahweh, I'm the Lord, a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. In other words, Israel continued to exist and experience God's love and forgiveness because God is that way, because, because he abounds in love. God shares his heart of compassion with us. He opens up his heart so that we can peek in and see who he is and see his heart. So in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah takes these very words of God where God shares his heart with Israel and Jonah throws these words back at him into God's face and he's like, I knew you were like this. You've always been like this. You've been this way since day one. What's totally ironic but missed by Jonah is that he himself wouldn't exist as an Israelite if God were not like this. And the closing words of the book shares God's heart again. Beginning verse 9. But Moses said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Author Becky Pippert tells a story about sharing God's heart with a gifted violinist friend of hers who was also an atheist. One day she asked her friend a simple question. She said, I'm curious. Is there anything that has ever caused you to doubt your atheism? Her friend said, uh, there was one thing. <laughs> when she got caught up in playing beautiful compositions, she often felt like she was worshiping. Pippert reminded her that many of those compositions were written for worship originally. Her friend said she wished there was a God, but she said that even if there was a God, she was sure he wasn't interested in her or in her greatest passion her music. Pippert told her that actually the Bible describes heaven as a place filled with glorious music. So in a later conversation uh, at a Bible study that she had invited her atheist friend to, to explore the Bible and to explore questions of faith, her friend asked, where in the Bible did it describe heaven as a place filled with music? Pippert was ready to answer that question because she thought that her friend might ask it. 
So she took her to Job 38, verses 7 and 8, where it describes the music of creation. Then she took her to the prophet Zephaniah, which says this about God. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. God sings his joy and love. That's an amazing peek into God's heart. And it was this that got our atheist friend who had been very hostile to Christianity and to Christians to start exploring the reality of God and to actually admit that she was drawn to Jesus. You don't have to miss this amazing adventure, but you still may be wondering how you yourself can join God in his mission. You may have the want to, but you have to have the how to. I want to share with you a couple of ways. The first is by participating in our next series. It gets really specific on the how-to. We did a series recently that was a prayer training series. This one will be about training you, training us, to be able to share our faith more effectively. The series is called Bless, and each letter of the word bless will present, will present or represent a simple and doable plan for sharing your faith with others and helping them come back to God. But there's another way to join God in his mission. Our church family is on a journey to bless our neighbors around our church, our neighbors around our homes, and our workplace neighbors. We told you recently about this BLESS campaign, and we're launching it this weekend. If you're watching On Demand, we don't want you to miss out on what our congregation experienced between services this weekend. And if you're listening to On Demand, you'll want to see the video about BLESS. Um, that I'm about to play for you. We'll be sending you a link to the video by tomorrow. Most of us by now have come to that moment or moments when the uncertainty created by the pandemic has stopped us dead in our tracks. Possibly worse than that, we found ourselves drifting in paralysis, losing our way. A few weeks ago, Five Oaks Leadership came to a crucial decision point. We could wait and drift along, focused on the uncertainty, or we could focus on what is certain. We didn't realize that those were our options at the moment, but through prayer and fasting, we saw the danger and we chose action. I wanna tell you the story of how that happened. And I wanna explain how our church community can stay focused on our mission and seize opportunities for the gospel. It's a story that brings energy and inertia to our church family. It's the story of the Blessed Campaign. Two or three years ago, working with an architect on our overall site plan for our property and our building, the architect pointed out that we were at capacity and we had been at capacity maybe for as long as three years. We conceived a campaign called BLESS. It was an approximately $4 million campaign to increase our ability to reach our neighbors for Christ, which is the ultimate blessing that we can give them. In midwinter, we began putting together a campaign team. Then COVID hit. We almost set the campaign aside. It was in a meeting where we were prepared to press pause because of the uncertainty created by the pandemic, 
that it hit us. We could wait and drift along in the uncertainty, or we could move forward with what is certain. The governing board voted to move forward with the campaign. Some of the specifics and scope of the campaign would change, but the goal of blessing our neighbors would not. We kept the parts of the campaign that had to do with creating a more welcoming and inviting environment, retooling some of our key spaces for ministry, impacting our world, and establishing an even stronger financial foundation as a church family. So what does this look like? If you start from the road, there will be some noticeable differences to the grounds and to the front of our building, and there will be a brand new parking lot. It needs a complete resurfacing, but some fresh paint, updated colors, and added features to our front outdoor entry area will also create a more welcoming and inviting environment. Once you come in the doors, everyone will be met by new carpeting in the commons. This will replace the older stained carpeting we now have. The slippery entryway concrete will also be carpeted, eliminating the need for the black and gray area rugs. Everyone will also be met by a more open look after removing some visual obstructions. New portable check-in stations will provide greater versatility for check-in of families and concierge of guests on the weekends, for students on Wednesdays, and for all church events. The worship center is 20 years old. It needs some updates badly. So imagine with me new carpeting throughout the worship center, including the stage, and then fresh updated chair upholstery and wood accents. The gym is one of the areas I'm most excited about. It needs to be turned into a better and more effective ministry tool than it is now. Imagine with me a thrust stage, large screens and projectors, the kind of sound and lighting we have in the worship center, and improved acoustics all throughout that space. In addition, 5% of all donations to the BLESS campaign will be strategically targeted to make an impact in our local and global missions and our compassion efforts. And one more thing that's hugely important. I've been here long enough to see successive generations impacted by Five Oaks. Kids have been born and graduated in my time here. Some who were in student ministries when I came are now raising families and their kids are being similarly impacted by our student ministries. So we want to strengthen our financial position for future ministry and future generations by retiring $605,000 in debt, which is going to free up $48,000 a year for financial reserves. And then we want to add $300,000 to our reserves for future large-scale maintenance projects for our aging building. That's a lot of detail. But what I want you to take away from this video is that we are seizing the opportunity. We have clarity in a time of uncertainty. And seizing the opportunity not only strengthens our ministry for outreach, it makes us stronger going into the future. We're asking each of you to prayerfully consider your role in the BLESS campaign. Let us know if you're willing to pray. And if you're willing to consider being involved with the BLESS campaign, by simply texting the word BLESS to 94090. This will allow you to receive campaign reminders and updates. Please don't hesitate to let us know if you're willing to pray and to consider your role in the BLESS campaign. Even as we wait on what is uncertain, let's focus on what is certain, our ability and our opportunity to be a blessing.
Like I said earlier, our congregation, your church, is on a journey to bless our neighbors and bless our world. Join us by simply texting the word BLESS to 94090. It's really challenging right now. It's really challenging to get information to you during COVID. So please text us so that we can get it directly to you. It doesn't get lost in your inbox. And so that we know that you're going to be praying about your role in the campaign so that you can show us that we're in this together. If you participate in this next series, there are people in your life who will experience the love and grace of God because you were more engaged in God's mission. I know that'll happen. I know that'll happen because that's how God works through his word and through prayer. And you're going to be better equipped and more prayerful about his mission, more aware of the divine appointments that he is setting up for you. And if we all participate in bless, our church family will also be better equipped for blessing our world. Hey, I want to ask you to stay, stay tuned for The Fog, which is right after the sermon. It's a rerun of one we did recently on a weekend where our live stream and on demand had some significant issues. So you probably missed it and we don't want you to miss it. It's a very special fog. So God bless you and uh, I'll see you. I'll see you next week. Well, hello, Five Oaks Nation. Welcome to another awesome weekend here at Five Oaks. This is the Weekly Fog, and I am your host, Pastor Love, bringing you a double dose of goodness here this weekend as we celebrate two incredible people as they depart our Five Oaks staff after years and years of faithful service. That's right. Deb Johnson and Cindy Yarrington have been keeping Five Oaks running for decades, like literally. Cindy has served on our staff for 17 years. 15 of those years she spent as a director in Five Oaks Kids, teaching our kids about Jesus and, and teaching the rest of us to teach our kids about Jesus. Most recently, she has served as our family and discipleship team assistant, making sure that we've got our ducks in a row as we chase down all the different strategies as we partner with parents like never before. This past year, Cindy became licensed as a parent educator and is working in the early childhood family education program in Stillwater. Go ponies and go Cindy. Well, please don't go. Oh, she already went, so there's, there's no sense in begging. Deb has served for 22 years and a few months and is the first person to formally retire from Five Oaks. She serves as our financial secretary and has also served in all kinds of different capacities because she's always ready to roll up her sleeves to make this place better. And she has done just that. She's our unofficial but favorite Five Oaks historian and is always ready to explain how something used to be or why we used to do it that way in, in the past. She also has assisted Pastor Jonathan with some administrative uh, support for our small group's ministry. In other words, these two know where all the bodies are buried around here. What? I can't talk. No, it's not. There's not like actual bodies buried. It's just a, it's just a, okay. There are no actual bodies buried at, 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 at the church. Don't, don't worry about it. Deb and Cindy, we send you off with mixed feelings because on the one hand that we are so excited for you as you step into retirement and get to spend extra time uh, with grandkids and really doing whatever else you want when you don't have to come to work. And Cindy, we could not be more excited for you as you step further into your role as a parent educator. But make no mistake about it. There has been a lot of tears shed around here this last week as we said goodbye to Cindy. And there will be more tears shed next month when we say goodbye to Deb. Now, they're not leaving Five Oaks altogether. They're just departing from our staff. But we wanted to give you a little look inside of our staff family. And that meaning that you know, we are a staff family and we do ministry together and we serve together. And, uh, and Deb and Cindy have been a crucial part 
of that over the many, many years that they have served on this staff. They have made this place better as they have faithfully served. And they love God, they love his church, and they love each of us and all of you. So Deb and Cindy, thank you for your years of faithful service. We love you. We will miss you in the office, but we'll be excited to continue to see you around Five Oaks. Well, that's all we got for you here this weekend. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Pastor Love signing off of another great edition of the Weekly Flock.